So, hey guys, welcome to the Post Rugby Podcast with me, Anthony Andrews. My guest today is Rick Cooper. Rick is a former rugby player and inspirational leadership and performance coach. His journey up to this point has been presented with many challenges, injuries, loss of identity, and navigating his masculinity in physical activities. Rick's upbringing in sport was where Rick tried to find validation, recognition, and significance through competition and embarking on a professional rugby career. In doing so, he broke his back, being made temporary, temporarily semi-paralyzed, with the medical profession ruling out any physical endeavor in his lifetime, all at the age of just 21. Defiant, he went on to spend the next 10 years as a London firefighter, proudly serving and helping the people of London and even returned to the field of play and received an invite to represent Great Britain as a powerlifter. Now a qualified personal trainer, educator, assessor, life and NLP coach, Rick has become an integrated man and consistently coaches men to transformation. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining today. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute honor. And when you asked, I was like, wow, like, definitely and uh yeah that was all easy for you to say it's a mouthful isn't it (laughs) (laughs) oh mate i know you wrote me a bit of an essay there um but mate it's all it's all great stuff and um and i suppose this this podcast is about rugby but it's also about just sharing the journey of life through rugby post rugby um so i suppose the, the first place to start is is maybe you could share with the listeners your your journey with rugby yeah of course mate of course um can I, I don't know if they do it these days, but he started off in junior school, so I must have been sort of 10 years old. And I was quite a fat kid, Anne. Like, so we got this invite. We got one and afternoon off of school where a coach picked us up and took us to the local rugby club. Um, so my my hometown club is Westcliff. Um, they took us to there, and all I saw was we got free free lunch, free food after. And I'm like, I'm going, I'm in. Afternoon <laughs> <laughs> off school, and there's free food. I'm like, I'm in. And... Um, yeah, that was how it kicked off, man. Um, I took to it. It was it was just um, like a bit of an outlet, really. Um, I didn't really enjoy school too much. I did not, but I just had suddenly found this this route where I could kind of mix with an, a different sort of set of people that weren't being forced to go somewhere. You know, like we, the school system, we have to go, and this was something where I was like, oh, okay, I can like a new form of expression. You're like 10, 11 years old. You're exploring the world and you know, what, what's what and you're jostling for what your position is kind of thing in the world. And I guess unconsciously at that age, you're you're going through that process without even knowing it. Um, so that was where it all began. And I had come from quite an angry home, like my parents were very volatile. And I think that was getting suppressed inside me that there was actually, a, I was becoming quite angry. Um, I don't think it was really prominent until I was about 12 where it came out on a rugby pitch. Um, and that's probably looking back now as the first realization of, oh wow, um, this this suppressed like anger inside of me from what I was observing was uh, was coming out now in this in in rugby, um, but it was holding me and serving me really well. So um, yeah, and Rick, yeah. what did that look like? Did that look like you just ending somebody? Or... <laughs> <laughs> you know what, I just got an image of you just clotheslining somebody at twelve years old. <laughs> um, it was just, I just loved tackling, you know, I, I my, my early idols were like 
God, some some of the listeners might not have even heard of these people. I know you, I know you'll know them, but like Mickey Skinner, uh, Brian Moore were like my early idols. Just very manly men that when I was on a rugby pitch loved confrontation. Like, and they were my they were my early idols. It wasn't skillful like Campazes and stuff like that. I, I looked way more at the angrier men that would they would do damage. And um, so I just kind of moulded myself at eleven years old on them. And it first came out where um, my father, oh, we were playing barking, actually, Anne, and, um, and they were really gobby. We were like 12 years old. And the only club we played where the boys were like talking like they swore on the pitch and say really horrible things. I'd never encountered it before on a rugby pitch. And even the parents on the sideline were like, you know, they'd be shouting things out to like the 12-year-old, 11-year-old sons, like, end him, stamp on his face, like, from the sidelines. And I'd never encountered it. And uh, we played Barking about three weeks before in like a curtain raiser for our first team. And we got trashed, like embarrassed, trashed. We've never played people or like kids who had this sort of upbringing, you know, that were streetwise um, and whose parents were, you know, projecting onto them their, their anger. So we played these boys who were like, first time I'd ever come across boys that are generally angry. And I come off feeling really like inadequate. And um, we played them three weeks later. And on that morning, my nan, I thought my nan had died. So my mum had rushed off to London and my dad took us to rugby for this big game against Barking. And I was upset. And I'm hiding it and hiding it. And it's a big, I can spill with my dad. It's a big game. He's embarrassed by what happened three weeks ago. He was our coach. And we're in the change room. I start crying. And the other boys look at me they're like, you're right. And also my dad storms in the change room. He looks at me. He's like, stop being a pussy. He's like, you stop crying, pull yourself together, we've got a big game today. And I was like, oh my God, the anger that came up inside of me towards my dad and I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, he like walked out, the other coach is in there and he put his arm around and was like, Rick, like, ignore him. Like, it's a big game, you channel this into the game. And that was it, And That was the first time, you know, we hear that saying of people can like flip the switch. That was the first time I ever experienced that, that flick of the switch channeling channeling an energy into an area and uh, I just walked out I was just so angry and like these boys were on there I was a prop at the time and the prop obviously was very 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 vocal and uh, and mouthy and I just ended him the first first scrum at 12 years I was so much anger I just angled my head his head rather than his shoulder so in the first engagement I just went straight in head first buried my face in his because I was like I'm going to shut you up and I'm I'm filled with anger um and funny enough, it did. You know, we're 11, 12-year-old boys, and I guess you're learning now that when someone, when, when I've got a son now, and you see that process of you give out thinking you're not going to get back. And then when you get back, you shut your mouth or you stop behaving the way you behave because you realise that someone else won't put up with it. There's a mm-hmm. boundary. So for him, I guess, like, he shut up then. There was no, all of a sudden, the rest of the team shut up because their vocal person shut up. And I was like, oh, wow, there's an in here. So that game just came out with me just ending people in tackles, like smashing people in the upper body, like upper body tackles, which we didn't do, we didn't do at that age. It was all like hold the legs, everyone goes down. And I was just, yeah, I was ready to have it that day. And it just spilled out. And um, the trouble is Jason Leonard was watching that game. And he came over to my dad after. I was like, is there any way we can get this lad? He didn't even know he was my dad. Is there any way we can get this lad to bark him? I'd love to nurture him and, and bring him through and bring him through our ranks. Because obviously barking oh, wow. at the time. Yeah, when I'm 11, 12, and he just come off the back of the Grand Slam of England in like 92, 93, whatever it was, the Six Nations. Um, 
he was watching the game. He came to my dad and said, oh, who's that? Who's the kiddie? Like, can we, can we bring him to Barking? And I was like, no. Um, very much a creature comfort person. I don't like change that, or I didn't like change that much. Mm. Um, so he never went, you know, but that was the first time where I was like getting recognition for being fucking angry. Um, and it came obviously with rugby. So you kind of, that was it. I started to mould myself that, that was a, a way of getting this anger out of me. And I tended to be, I don't want to say, I would never say and I was a good player. I generally don't think I was. Uh, I generally don't think I was, I was a great player, a good player. Um, I just think the fact that I can read a game quite well and I'd get a couple of little skills, like at that age, like Campesi, the Campesi goose step. So I saw it and I'd, I'd just try it and it worked. And people were like, oh, wow, like, this, yeah, you know, this kiddie does like this goose step, and you only see Campesi do it, or the sidestep, and and then you can smash people as well. And people are a bit like, "Fucking hell, this guy's got talent." And realistically, you're not really that skillful. You know, you just you you're just good at being aggressive and and, and being vocal to lead people. I guess that just evolved through the years. Um, yeah, that's where it started. Nice. And then after your kind of junior junior escapades, as this sidestepping prop angry prop Where, what happened next as you as you grew, grew a bit older um i think we started to slim down a bit and so I'm, it's funny enough this conversation with um a dad the other day he's got a son who plays rugby and i ended up playing every position on the pitch between 12 and 15 <clears throat> um and we stayed at westcliff i was very fortunate at 16 that i knew i wanted to go to a rugby playing school because i didn't go to a rugby playing school and um there's a school in essex called campion school um so 20 well now i'm 40 this year so until 25 years ago um they were the number one essex school for being renowned for the rugby and i managed to get into there um so i spent two years at campion and within that same year of joining so 97 saracens ran the first academy. So they were very, um, <clears throat> very innovative in designing the academy system and you had to apply. So I applied um, and I think we had like 500 kids at that age and uh, they were going to select 100 and I managed to get in. So I managed to get in, um, started going there and um, rugby came on leaps and bounds. Um, completely out of my comfort zone around the same time. Like Campion and Saracens took me to another level. Physically, more than anything else, I realised straight away that going to proper rugby playing, sort of, not proper, but going up a level, physically I wasn't inept for that. I was getting smashed off the ball at rucks and it was like, oh, okay. So I knew I had to build myself up. Saracens took me to another skill level. You know, once a month we'd have skill sessions with people like uh, Thomas Castanade and Kieran Bracken and, and Ben Azzi and, you know, big names from back in the day. Francois Pienaar was there, Philip Seller. And we're learning skills off of these guys. And there's a coach there called Bob Brooks. Anyone in the rugby world that knows him knows Bob. He's a very, very angry man. Yeah, I know um, him. I've, I've come across him. He's coached me a few times. Oh, uh, yeah. As you know, and he's, you know, he unfortunately scared the shit so much out of me, it stopped me expressing myself. Right. Um, but he saw something in me early and he asked my mum and dad if I'd come and come up on a Tuesday and Thursday to play for the under-21s when I was 16. And everyone else in the under-21s was like, obviously 18 to 21. And I was like, holy shit, my dad's all excited. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. So I start training the 21s, but I'm playing. Is it Saracens under-21s? Yeah. Right. And um, But I was really loyal to Campion. And um, they asked me if I'd have my debut for Saracens against Leicester under-21s. 
but the same Saturday, I'd been asked to make my first team debut for Campion. And I sat down with Bob and I was like, listen, I'm going to school here. Um, I'd like to make my debut at Campion instead. And I made my debut for Campion instead. And Campion realised I was going Saracens and they had a real, the head of rugby had a massive problem with it because he didn't like Bob. So they, he said to me then that if I don't quit Saracens, even though they would get all the benefit, <clears throat> he'll make my life hell at Campion. Wow. So I couldn't, I had to keep it really quiet then that I was going to Saris on a Tuesday and Thursday night and carry on playing. But at the end of my two years at Campion, I went to Saris for the 21s, um, became an associate associate pro, um, which means like you go in and train with the first team a couple of mornings of the week, you play for the 21s. And it was okay, but I was going through a lot of like trauma at the time at home. My mum and dad were splitting up, we were losing the house. Um, it was playing havoc with me then at sort of 17, 18. The rugby started to go down the drain a little bit. And uh, and I was getting a lot of back pain. And like I couldn't, some days I'd go to training and I couldn't even lift my knees up to run. And it was just so, like, it was just like, it was pretty debilitating. And um, and we were having like 50 acupuncture needles put in from my spine down to my ankles every Tuesday and Thursday night to try and see what this pain was. And uh, <clears throat> this was at what age? Uh, I was 20. Bloody hell. Yeah, I think 20. Um, so yeah, they had that going on. And then obviously Bob being, <laughs> Bob being Bob, I'm obviously really intimidated, really under 21s. And I remember in the warm up, and uh, I threw this pass and he missed someone and Bob got everybody in and he, he, uh, oh my God, he literally belittled me, like told me to F off back to the change rooms if I was going to perform like this. And, and he never brought me into here to, to like, you know, <laughs> to throw wayward passes. But I was so scared. I understand it was his way of trying to say, listen, you need to level up. You need to yeah. concentrate and focus for every minute you're here because it's so precious. Looking back, I understood now that like, that's what his way of what he's trying to say, and he just had a different way of saying it. But for me, it was like, oh wow, like I can't, I can't, I can't make a mistake. Um, and that was it. I didn't try anything. I didn't, I didn't mm. get experimental. I wasn't creative with, with my rugby anymore, and it started to become not fun. Like it just and what position were you playing at this by this point? So I was playing centre. Right. Yeah, I was a centre and I'd always like be a bit of a backup for the back row, um, which I loved because it was confrontational again. And as a centre, like, you know, I'm not the fastest hand, so I was always like, I'd rather play 12 because there was the 97 Lions tour where Scott Gibbs did that run and smashed Oz Durant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so me being me and this confrontational, I was like, well, I'm going to mould my play around just being a, a bit more physical rather than skillful mm. to fast enough. So I was just getting known as a 12 that would just like punch holes. Um, but trouble is, there's a lot of shortcomings, you know, you restrict yourself so much. And at that level, and you, you'll know, like everyone, anyone can do that. Anyone can punch a hole, East, but not everyone can think how to create space and make space and, and do things like that. And it, my game was going backwards rapidly um, because of it. Um, yeah. And then uh, obviously at 20, I uh, did my back. <laughs> yeah what happened there like tell us tell us about that <clears throat> um so we was having the acupuncture and we had like a, a physio in from the army at the time at, at, at saracens and he kept thinking that i had tight hamstrings and i probably did um but we just couldn't get around it and then one one morning i went off and had a friendly with um i went off and had a friendly for just for like a random club i can't remember who it was i just wanted to have a game and i played and i was like god just a burning sensation down my legs that evening. And I went to bed. I woke up the next day 
and I couldn't feel my legs. Like it was a scary, so scary. I couldn't feel my legs. Blimey. And um, I got got a taxi to the we got an ambulance to the hospital, and they scanned me. And my basically, where all four or five discs were completely bulging out. There's pra- there's practically no no space in the disc like cavity, and um, and I had a crack through the vertebrae. Um, so basically, they said your spine's kind of fractured, your discs so you couldn't get more squished. I think they said this. They basically like two jam donuts, and the jam's literally trying to burst out. Um, so yeah, that was it. Um, <laughs> basically, rugby rugby was over. And, uh, wow. and you were like, what 20 did you say 20. or 21 20 then yeah 20 wow so um it was just a really hard time man like uh, my mum and dad had split up we had had our house repossessed um i'd gone sort of temporary homeless through my own my own doing um i could live with my mum and sister in a flat and i did i had a bed there um and they're, they're, they will still convince themselves to this day that i probably stayed at a girlfriend's house a lot of nights a week and i never just I didn't want to be in somewhere where, you know, they hated my dad and men and I couldn't take any more of this, this pressure. And it's like, um, you know, growing up in quite a violent home, knowing what I know now, I just wasn't in alignment. It was very unsettling. And I used to go and sleep on like, benches and down Leon C, um, Leon C, um, what do you call it? Esplanade. Like a few nights of the week where, I was just lost, you know, like my dad had gone and I couldn't trust my dad and my mum and my sister hated men. And it was just a really weird time. My rugby career had gone. Everything I ever wanted to do was just rugby. I remember getting laughed out of school for my careers day. And they were like, what, are you gonna, what, do you want, what would you like to do for your life, Rick? You know, so we can help your education. And I was like, I'm going to be a professional rugby player. And they were like, yeah, really? But what are you really going to do? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to be a professional rugby player. And at the time, it just gone professional after the 95 World Cup. And they were like, yeah, it's really funny, Rick, but come on, let's get serious. And I was like, no, like, you know, I came out of school with, I think, three GCSEs in A to C and the rest of D's and E's because it was just, I just wanted to train. And uh, so all that just went on, you know, it's a dark time. And I went to see the surgeon. So 18 months later, I had surgery and uh, they fixed everything. They took, the, you know, they fixed the spine, manipulated the discs back in, create the space, shave around, actually shaved the L4 and L5 disc canal to create room for them to go in. And I saw the surgeons had all these staples taken out of my back. And I said to him, like, I'm excited. So I'm thinking, yes, I'm fixed. And I said, when will I play rugby again? And he just turned after explaining, I looked up from the paperwork he's reading. And he said, he laughed. He literally was like, (laughs) he said, boy, you're not even going to stack shelves in a supermarket in your lifetime. It was that serious. And he said, did you know? He said, I don't know if you're aware, but you had a 67% chance of never having use of your legs again from the operation. He said, the fact you've got the use of them and we managed to not, you know, like have any complications, you know, that's just the way your life's going to be. And I remember just didn't want to show my tears. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, inside, I'm thinking, what am I, what is this life? And what am I going to do? And I remember walking out and um, just bawling, crying, like getting in a car and absolutely hyperventilating because I was like, I don't know what to do. And I need, I need to do something in my life. I'm paying, I'm working for a job where I'm in and out of a wheelchair um, on a couple of days a week because I can't walk. Paying like 30%, 40% of my wages, my mum's mentioned we've got a roof overhead and I've got no prospects now. 
Um, so it's a really dark time, man. And um, honestly, thought I'd ne- I thought I'd never play rugby again. Mm. It's my fault. So I was about 21 then. Wow, uh, mate, that's that's amazing. That's incredible. Um, so what 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 helped you turn that corner and come out of that that place? Um, I mean, God, we could, we'll talk about. I guess we'll go into like the masculinity side of things, but um, very insecure, goalless. Um, bizarrely, the triggers were a lot around like a body dysmorphia. Right. So I've been bullied a lot by my dad and other people for being a fat kid. Um, so coming off the back of it, I put away. I was. I'd probably say like I never got. Never went to a doctor. I'd probably say actually knowing now, I'm probably a bit depressed. Um, there was, I just had no direction. And what happened was I got in a relationship and I was triggered majorly um, in this relationship where she had like calendars of firefighters and like a couple of footballers and rugby players around her room. And it made me feel so insecure um, about myself. And she went to gym like four or five days a week and I was triggered to fuck and um, like so triggered. So I started going to the gym to build myself up because I mm. hated feeling so insignificant um, in someone's life, like feeling really unwanted is what I thought it was. Mm. Um, and uh, I started going to the gym, started building myself up. Um, and I was like, oh, this feels good. So I spent sort of three, four years going to the gym. And the trigger to going back was I applied for the fire service because I was like, what am I going to do with my life? So I went to careers advisor and they were like, oh, army, all the military, basically. PT um, or the emergency services because of my qualifications. So I was like, oh, fuck it. Like, everybody loves a firefighter. She loves a firefighter. Like, I'll, I'll feel good about myself. So I applied to become a firefighter for London. And, um, you know, I got in and I went through a process to get in. And, you know, like, uh, I thought I'd missed time, if I'm honest. I thought I screwed my life up. And I thought, looking back on a reflection, I thought I could have worked harder. I could have done more. Um, I had my body taken away from me once and I was like, it's not happening again. And this is going to sound ridiculous to anyone's, anyone listening, right? So for every position London has back then, so we're talking like 15, 16 years ago, for every position London has available, there's something like two to 500 applicants for that one. And at the time, I think they were like probably looking for about 30, 30 like, um, applicants they'd finalised to come into training school and split into training groups. Um, so I was like, this is a competition. What can I can control? So throughout the whole of the summer and the winter leading up to fitness testing, I would go out in two, two or three pairs of trucks, tracksy bombs, five bin bags, two jumpers, and I'd measured out this mile like long perimeter on a field. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not stopping until somebody like either finds me on the floor of passed out and pushed so hard or I can't physically walk home. So I just like went around this mile, jogged, and then I would do sprints. So I'd sprint 100 metres, jog 50, sprint 100 metres, jog, and just keep doing it until I couldn't take anymore. I got found with an ambulance or in hospital twice, so three times in total, where I'd passed out and I'd basically lost all control of my bladder and everything else. So I messed myself and I was on the floor. I'd wake up another time, blood coming out of my nose and out of my mouth, where I'd push so hard and maybe passed out, probably hit myself on the floor. Um, another time the ambulance came where I was just, I'd literally, someone found me, where I was, I think, from what I can remember, trying to crawl home because I couldn't stand up, my legs were gone. And I must have passed out. And um, But that to me was like, I'd missed time. It was all a competition. Mm. So 
I was willing to go where I thought no one else would be willing to go to. Um, we went for the bleep test at the fire brigade and outran the bleep test. It stops at level 20 and I was just making it where I was like, this is this is maximal. You know, they're looking for people to pass 9.6, but they allowed you to go for as long as possible. And in my head, I'm like, oh, rugby, I know what happens in rugby here. They look for what you're doing extra than anybody else. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'll push. And I, I ran. So we got to level 20, it stopped. I stopped, hammered, and I got in. And uh, that year I got in was the same year I went back to play rugby. So and that all came because I was out with my mates and two of them were in front of me. And I was talking to one of the other lads behind and I heard the two in front say, yeah, he hasn't got the, he hasn't got the bollocks to play again. And that was it. I was like, fuck you. Never said anything. Didn't tell a word to anybody. Got home for that night out. The following morning, I phoned the rugby club up, Westcliff. I said, oh, do the seniors still train on Tuesday and Thursday? And they were like, yeah, yeah. Didn't tell them who I was, anything, because I'd have been to the club for like five or six years. Mm. I turned up at training on Tuesday night. And I was like, Let's, let me see if I can play. So, yeah. And then I went back. <laughs> wow. And how was the back when you went back? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? And it's, it was actually all right. I'd had winters where... Like I never, I was too scared to squat and deadlift. So yeah. like all my training was around circuits and running. And um, and I went back and the back was actually all right. It was, at, it, the back was fine. The trouble was for the three and a half years I was back, I just fucking broke everything else. Um, so first, first came <laughs> back, Mr. Angry was still there. And I, the thing is, because I was at Saracens and my dream was always to be a professional, I always had a way of, there's got to be a certain way you conduct yourself. There's a certain way you go about your business. I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around playing social rugby. Mm. For me, it was all about winning, and it was all about being at the highest level you could possibly be at. So when I went back to the club, I was going. In, I would turn up for the game in shirt and tie and trousers, and everyone else would be like, maybe a shirt and tie and jeans and trainers. And I was like, okay, like it's not how we're going to do things. Um, before the game. Like people would turn up and just be like throwing a ball around. And I'd be out there like an hour before kickoff on my own, stretching, like being very purposeful about my approach. After the game, everyone would be shoveling beer in their mouth on the pitch. I'd be warming down and I wouldn't be drinking. Um, so all this stuff, I guess, without preaching to anyone, people observing these behaviours and, and all this stuff. And I went back and the first game back, I remember they were talking about this Samoan number eight, the this. There's a rugby club called Dis, and we were playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were in a crappy like league, like Essex one or two or something. And I was like, right, that's it. I said to our hooker, throw the ball to the back of the line out. Make sure that our jumpers are going to miss it because I'm coming out the line. I was playing centre, and I'm going to fucking smash him in the first hit. <laughs> so we kick off, or they kick off. It goes out, and we have a throw in. It's on like our ten meter line. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, I'm like the coach. And I'm like, just fucking do it. <laughs> so he throws over the top. I'm coming out the line straight away because like the back, the ref's back turns. So I'm like, I can buy yards here. And it's number eight, he catches it. He turns to come at our 10. And the minute he turns to come, I'm already on him. And I just, bang, like absolutely obliterate him because everyone's talking about him before the game. Oh, if they've got the Samoan eight again and, and all this, they're going to destroy us. So I was like, okay, first game back, big crowd at home. I'm having it. Like, we're not doing this again. I'm changing everyone's attitude. 
what I didn't know Anne, was I thought I was really fucking winded. So I'm on the floor just thinking, oh my God, I'm so winded. I can't show this. And I play the rest of the game just thinking, Jesus, it won't go. Bizarrely, five minutes to go, we, the score was like 21-19. And we get a penalty on their 10-meter line. And I was like, go, 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 to scrum off. And uh, basically, we tap and go quickly. I find a gap and I manage to score in the last three minutes. And we, we win the game through through that for us just you know, taking a risk in that last few minutes. I go to the hospital that night, and I've got a full ribcage break on the right-hand side. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my three of my ribs were, at, were broken because um, I was like, I, I couldn't do a press-up. I was having trouble getting off the floor during the game, and I was like, this winding thing is knocking the crap out of me. So, uh, yeah, first game, bracket, I, break, I break my ribs. I take four weeks out. We come back, and we play a team called Berry St. Edmunds, who are mustard at the time. And uh, we get smashed. We're like 40-something, 10 down. And with 10 minutes to go, um, we take a quick tap. I take a quick tap to think we've got nothing to lose. As I pass, I get tackled. As I'm going down, the winger runs across me and his knee just goes straight through my jaw. And I'm knocked out cold in my second game back. So I wake up, I go to stand, and I'm like, Whoa, I'm wobbling everywhere. And, uh, and I'm like, it's all right, play on. I just got to get my head together. And I couldn't talk. So the physio's there, she's, she basically holds me up and we go in and my teeth, my bottom teeth were knocked out everywhere. You know, they were like, I don't know, it's like looking at sloth from Goonies. And uh, we go straight to the hospital and the hospital's like, sees me. And the nurse is like, oh, I've played rugby in the rugby kit. She goes, oh, another rugby player. She goes, what have you done? So the physio's like, you can't actually talk. Like, you need to look at his mouth. So they get me in the room and the two nurses are looking and she goes, oh, bloody rugby players, you, all these, all you sports people are here on a Saturday. So the physio's like, can you have a scan? She's like, no, we're not scanning him. So I'm like, uh, 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 like this. And uh, the physio's like, you need to scan him. She's like, no, look, we can see it's just his teeth. She goes, you have to come back Monday. There's no dentist here until Monday. So you have to come back Monday morning, the dentist put your teeth back in, straighten them all up and put it back in place. So we're to and fro, we're trying to get me scanned, and they completely point blank refused to give me an X-ray or a scan of my mouth and my jaw. So the physio drops me home. Um, I pretty much nearly pass out in the shower, and I'm like, I'm in agony. So the following morning, I get um, I get someone to drive me to another hospital, and I go to the hospital. They scan me, and I've got three breaks in my jaw, um, and an abscess in my gum. And they were like, right, we need to get in for emergency surgery. So this first hospital tells me they're not even going to scan me, it's just my teeth. And then I go to the next hospital, they're like, you've got a triple break all the way through your jawline. So I get emergency, I stay there for the day. Monday morning, the surgeon comes down. He puts three permanent plates in my jaw um, to fix it. 27 stitches all through my gums where he has to get the abscess out and put my teeth back together and put the plates in. Um, so yeah, that was like the second game back after the back injury. And, and uh, I thankfully, after two months out, I had the rest of the season where I, I played. So I think the 1st of January, we came back and we only lost two games in the second half of the season. Um, I think we we kept our place in the league. Next year, I was made vice-captain, but I actually captained us because the person who was made captain was injured pretty much most of the season. So I captained us and we got promoted into, I can't remember what it was now, like whatever, London 1 or whatever, or London 2. And then we got promoted again the next season to London 1. Um, and we got promoted again the following season into the National Leagues. 
So, yeah, but during all that, I managed to break my ankle twice, dislocate my shoulder twice. I've had seven broken hands. Um, managed to rip off my tips of both ears and stitch them back on. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, wow. So when was your last game then? When, when was the last time you played? You know what? I, the last time I played, how old's Clay? Clay's sixth next week. So my last game was seven years ago. Right. Yeah, and I, I haven't touched, been on a pitch to play at all. Yeah. In seven years. Yeah. And that was... That was because they kept saying I'm coming out of retirement. So it's 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 not it's eleven years ago. Yeah, eleven years ago that I was like I'm retiring. Yeah. I took two years out of not playing and then I kept coming back. Right. So I came back socially for cup I say socially, the only reason I kept coming back was because the boys would call me and say, Rick, we've got a big semi-final in the cup where you play. So I was like, Oh yeah, like, let's do it. So I played and I played back row and I loved it. It was like I got to 31 and I made the decided I want to play six or seven. Played the best rugby of my whole life and mm. at 31. And I was like, why did no one find this? So why did no coach find this in me when I was at 18 or 19? Mm. You know, like just had this skill set and this way of doing things, a way of thinking as a rugby player that suited it. And I can't believe I found it at 31 and it could have changed the course of a lot of enjoyment a lot of where a career could have gone you know like I don't know I mean who knows you can't change the past but yeah, yeah it's like probably the most fun rugby I played and then I tried to make a proper comeback but I just kept pulling things I could pull my hamstring on a proper comeback um I cut my retina um dislocated my hand again mm-hmm. and it was just like do you know what it just isn't fun you know like now I'm getting too hurt you get in your 30s and your pain threshold isn't, you know, as high as it was in your 20s. And you kind of get into a point where there's other responsibilities and things you enjoy in life and it starts to hinder them. And um, it was just a bit like, is this worth it? Mm. The fun was going. Um, yeah. So fast good. forward to now, mate, like those kind of all those injuries, all those metal plates and whatnot. Like, how's your body now? Um, you've got God, and you'll know this because you've had an you've done amazing since your knee surgery. Um, and I thought I thought a lot, and you know, I mean, we know each other well enough to know <clears throat> a little bit about me. Um, after rugby, I just kept throwing myself into other endeavours. You know, like boxing, bodybuilding, um, powerlifting, and I think what I was doing, I was just suppressing a lot of fucking demons. And you know, mm. um, I look back now, and I'm always like. I never truly loved playing rugby, if I'm honest. It was there was a lot of a lot of other stuff going on in my life. Um they proved to be an outlet for me. And I think what I was doing was I was always using sport or activities as vehicles to suppress and bury or find things that made me feel valued or significant or mm. build an armor around me to prove myself. So after rugby, I got in. I got involved in a, a bit of CrossFit, a bit of boxing, a bit of bodybuilding. Went on a Great Britain, Mr. Britain stage for the bodybuilding. Just a really murky world. It was very vain, but I was as well at the time. So it wasn't anyone else. You get, you know, like life and the world is a reflection of your attitude to it. Um, so I was getting that back. And then I got to powerlifting. I think it was a pivotal point, powerlifting, because it was just suddenly me versus me. Mm. And I wasn't given, I wasn't given like any time to what other people thought, what the, what I could do in the external world. I was just like, I just wanted to improve for me. But that was like a turner for me. 
because there was no external validation. It was just me. But also at the same time, still building a physical armor because I felt really inadequate, mm. in the, you know. Um, and after powerlifting, I got invited to represent Great Britain because I went to a competition and, you know, I was just so oblivious. and <laughs> I just wanted to beat my previous best. So yeah. I beat my previous best and they asked me to hold on for like at the end, you get certificates. So you get certificates and it's just in front of me and I got this like lovely shiny medal. And, uh, and they were like, oh, well, you'll hear from us in the post. And I'm like, oh, okay, brilliant. I'm thinking, oh, wow, I've got an invite to go to like Britain finals. And all of a sudden I get a, a letter through or an email, I think it was actually, invite me to represent Great Britain um, for the governing body to go to European and World Championships because the weight I lifted was, gave me, you know, allowed me to qualify to represent. Do you know what, Anne? I felt no excitement. Mm. I didn't feel alive. I didn't feel anything that I thought that I could have felt when that came. Um, all as a child, I wanted to play for England or the Lions and have the biggest accolades you could mm. in rugby. And, and I thought that I was doing these other sports to do the same thing. And as soon as it came, I was empty. Mm. I remember Emma saying to me, like, what are you going to do? You're going to go off to, you know, you're going to train to go to Slovakia for the Europeans. And I was like, nah. I was like, I think I just found out something about myself. And uh, yeah, it kind of led me onto a journey then. Of, I think that was like three or four years ago. And it led me on a path to where we are now. Um, like I do a, a lot of yoga now, a lot of meditation, so much time in nature. I know we've just, we just talked about it before we came on, on air, so, so to speak. And like, it is so refreshing and so frigging freeing to just pick up like a Bulgarian bag in the morning and just do a 20 minute workout to look after your health and your fitness mm. and you can make sure you just enjoy all this other cool shit we get to do in life. You know, like I get to go buddy scootering and BMX scootering and skateboarding with clay every weekend. And it's like, it's amazing to have this flexibility and feel so alive in your own skin because you're not beaten up from weights and, and all this other stuff that comes with it all, you know, like this gym life. And I'm not saying there's anything against that. Like people have goals and some people love it. For me, on a personal level, I've just realised that, you know, like I still enjoy the gym, but I'd never go every day of the week or for like 60 minutes. I'm very much like, okay, I enjoy the workouts now that are like 20 to 30 minutes long. After that, I'm like, I'm done. I've got the rest of my life I want to, I want to enjoy. Like, I need to get outside this building and, and be in nature with my dog and go and have a laugh. And, you know, there's so much cool stuff to explore in the world and people to see and connect with and, you know, like being inside them four walls now for anything more than that, I'm just like, no, you know, on a personal level, I'm just like, I just don't need this anymore. There's too much fulfillment in the other areas of life. And how's the body feeling then of like after that big realization, after the, you know, the power lifting, I mean, was the body feeling, you know, pretty beat up while you were doing that? And um, yeah, so like, again, how's the body feeling now after that realization and that, that massive shift? Um, in approach do you know what and yeah um, you kind of just get you think it's just how it is you know you're having like left hip ache all the time your knees hurt all the time there's no movement through your shoulders and you're like oh it's normal it's normal mm. it's, you know you just you convince yourself don't you like you play the sports and you're like oh it's normal this is just how it's going to be the rest of the, the rest of your life like you know when you adopt that life you just think oh yeah it's part of it and then you let it all go, you get into these other practices, and the best way I can say it is, I just feel like, I mean, I can say it like this, because Clay's fine, and like, watching him, I just want to jump around all the time. 
<laughs> the body feels loose. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wake up in the morning and I'm still a little bit ginger. You know, like the first five five minutes, I've got to slowly walk around the house. You know, I get the crossbow underneath my feet every morning. Mm. I do a little bit of meditation and yoga like for the first 15, 20 minutes every day. After I've done it, oh, wow. Like, I just feel lighter, looser. I'm, I literally feel like a little kid, you know, like um, I'm running around, bouncing around. You know, we go out and take the dog out for sometimes first thing. And when I come back, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> you know, like I never thought I could feel this good at 14. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Like I feel physically and mentally, I feel the healthiest and most free in body and mind that I've ever felt in my life. Mm, amazing. Amazing. And, and if you could pick maybe like one or two practices that's helped you get to this place what what would those practices be wow for me personally nature getting into nature letting go of what everyone tells you of putting earphones in your ears and listening to podcasts and and all that sort of stuff there's there's definitely room for that but i think that if you could just Get in nature with nothing that will distract you from yourself. Mm. I really generally think that if you can be in your being without distraction, just let, letting yourself have the space to see what's coming up in the mind and the body. Nature, definitely. Yeah. Um, the realizations that I had from not having the phone on me when I went and just being in myself mm. was incredible. Um, and that's quite hard for a lot of people, isn't it? To just be like a lot of us. Well, I, I certainly struggled with that for ages as well. Is like we're we're good at doing, but yeah. when when you say, like you say, you don't you go out and not necessarily have a distraction or a podcast or your phone. Like what what does being kind of feel like? Like what like can you can you describe that a little bit for us? Like, yeah. what, what does it feel like when you're in nature and you're just out there? Is it like, I don't know, like, yeah, just the, what do you experience? You know what, like, and I don't know, I don't know, pretend it's like this, this, it's this amazing thing because even now I get times when I go and I feel anxious because there's no phone. Like, mm. or I take the phone with me and it's a, it's a battle to start where I'm like, you know, like you're looking for distractions. You know, you're looking to fill your mind. Um, and it's weird because, you know, like to start with, you are anxious, you are uptight, you are questioning, well, what am I even doing? What's the purpose of this? Because mm. like, like you said, we're great at doing. So your initial thoughts are, I'm not being productive. Um, now it's like, it's like everything slows down. Mm. You, have, you suddenly have appreciation and gratitude for like everything around you. And it becomes so granular, you know, like you're walking along and out of nowhere, you're suddenly like, oh, I've got a working body. I'm so I'm so lucky that I've got legs that work. Like mm. you know, you have these, and it just goes into these like in-depth realizations. You clear the head, and like you alluded there, Ran, about about doing. And I've, I've talked to my one of, one of my clients on Tuesday about this. When people think they're like, we have to be in action all the time because if we stop, then everything else stops. Mm. And it's, bullshit, it's absolute bullshit. The thing for me is that when you go off, you tap into to a part of your mind that you can't when you're doing stuff. 
you know, you clear so much space that allows like clarity, clarity of thought. And because you're on your own with no distractions, it sounds cheesy to some unless you do it. You really get to fill into your heart space. You really start to have an appreciation for what really matters to you. You know, um, whether it's like the family, your wife, your child, your girlfriend, your husband, whatever it is, it sounds ridiculous. Your people will be like, what are you talking about? I know that anyway. I guarantee if you take yourself off on your own and don't listen to anything, the gratitude and love and heightened awareness you have for the things you value most in your heart goes up a whole nother level. Mm. Uh, people feel like they're stuck, you know, like or overwhelmed with life. I'm like, just get out. T turn everything off and go. Because when you go, you'll really see what's coming up for you. You'll get out of your head. You'll stop telling yourself silly stories. You'll, you'll start realizing the, your beliefs of where you're telling yourself and, and why you're doing things. And things will make sense. You know, like things like, why am I doing this job? Like, I hate my job. I'll, I've got no time. And then you get clear and you'll be walking and be like, hold on a minute. Well, I can't leave the job. But now I know what I love to do. Wow, I love being in nature. Oh my God, I'm breathing, for instance. Well, I could sign on to a breath work, like for, as an example, I could sign on to a breath work course because I've got a vision of now I'm out in the fresh air and doing stuff. I'd love to be able to work with people and serve people and experience what I'm experiencing right now. So I can use this job. Now I've got to give myself time to get away from everything. I can see clearly. So while you're walking along, you suddenly realize, Actually, I have got time. I've got a job that allows me a vehicle to pay for a course whilst working to learn about something that I want to do for others in the future. Mm. You don't get to that point if you just carry on working in a job and take no time for yourself. And you're like, how many people do we know that work, leave the office, go straight to the gym, and they say, oh, I have to go to the gym, it's my outlet. My question is, if that's your outlet for two hours – Shouldn't you be looking the other way around and looking at the source rather than the symptom? Mm. You're spending 40 hours a week at something and trying to then go to something else that takes up another two hours, which you call an outlet. So really the emphasis shouldn't be on the two hour outlet. The emphasis should be, how do I start to change the eight hours a day I'm spending in something that I need a release from? Mm. You don't get I, that. It's so powerful. Um, <laughs> Hey, it's so interesting and so powerful. And, and it's, I, I do Instagram stories all the time where I'm just going for a walk in nature. And I, and, and in my mind, it's like, I'm like, this is amazing. But I, I know that most of the people that follow me are just like, what's he banging on about? Like just going for a walk again. Like that they see it as not a big thing, but it's, it is, it is a huge thing because like you say, it, it can trigger all these realizations and all this other stuff. Um, so, mate, I think that's an amazing little segue just to kind of go into the last couple of little questions because I know we could probably keep talking about this stuff for hours, you and I, um, but just conscious of your time, conscious of um, uh, the time for this, this podcast. Um, just want to finish with a couple of questions, mate, and then I'll let you just talk about um, where people can find out a little bit more about what you're currently doing. I know we haven't talked too much about that. Um, I hope maybe we'll... we'll get you back on at some point in the future we can go into a little bit more depth around um what you're doing and 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 the next kind of steps of your journey but um just a couple of questions around like you know any advice to say to that 18 year old 
um, rugby player that that you were just finishing champion in Saracens Academy. Um, what advice would you give that 18 year old you? Oh my God. Um, wow. <laughs> this is probably going to shock a lot of people that listen to this. Um, follow your intuition. Um, you'll appreciate this. Um, all of what people think that I may have achieved, um, all of what people may have think, oh yeah, you know, that he's a driven guy that, you know, has his resilience and a no bullshit approach. And I haven't really said this before in a podcast. If I could look back, I would have said to an 18 year old, go and do what your intuition was telling you. Mm. And my intuition was telling me <laughs> physical where I was going, and I knew this then, but I was in denial, isn't for you. I really wanted to study psychology at 18 wow. and 16. Wow. Fascinated me. I really wanted to go to college for psychology, but it meant I couldn't go to Campion. I'd have to go to a local college. And my dad said, oh, you won't, you only play rugby locally. You're not going to get anywhere with your rugby career. Mm. I was like, oh. So you end up, what I realised was, was probably, my rugby was living my dad's dream. Right. I, I probably wow. didn't realise it. Yeah. Um, so my 18, the advice to my 18-year-old self was, would be, follow your intuition and trust yourself. Mm, amazing. Because, because I look now and I've like, I've spent probably a further 15 years not trusting myself and, and doing things that were probably from other people's agenda. Yeah. Wow, mate, that's powerful. Thank you. And, um, a kind of similar question in a way, like, and to the recently retired you, um, so what's that, six, seven years ago, whenever it was, can you, or, or maybe just contemplate in retirement? So those guys out there and girls that have retired from the game, um, that are maybe struggling with a bit of an injury or maybe mentally just feeling a little bit um, off, um, any advice to that retiring rugby player from the space that you're sitting in now? that six, seven, you know, years ago, just finished the game, you know, having all this extra bit of time now to do potentially other things. Like any advice for that recently retired you? Oh, wow. <clears throat> wow. Don't hold back thinking that the skills you just learned aren't valid in, in today, in, in the world you're about to go into. Mm. Um, because for me, completely underestimated until now, the, the leadership skills you learn, the ability to communicate in a team, the, the way we've harnessed and nurtured um, how to improve performance. Um, just because on a rugby pitch, it doesn't mean it doesn't transfer into an office space or a one-to-one -one space to help other people. Like mm. We've been, without realising, we've been nurturing all these things throughout our career and we never give ourselves credit for it because we think we just chuck on a pair of boots, go training, go on a rugby pitch. But it's, we haven't. We've been cognate. We've been very, very useful, cognitive parts of a will in which we know our role and the role of what teamwork is. Mm. And we know, we know what strong ethos is. We know what values are. We know how to create them. So don't underestimate at all the innate qualities and ability you or we have to bring into the outside world. Because I know for me, it was panic. 
he's like, where does it go from here? How can I use it? Like, I've got no skills. And I'm like, oh my God, we've got an abundance. And like, if you want the qualifications, there's so many ways to get them now. Like, you know, those places like Center of Excellence where you can use the discount code upskill and get a course for like 30 quid and you get diplomas in, you know, in, in whatever it is, psychology, like mindset. And you bring that with you and, you know, use that in the space and use the skills that we've all gained on, on retirement because we've got we've got far more uses that people really, really need than we ever give ourselves credit for. Mm. We've also, without realising it, when you probably the same as me, I don't know a single rugby player has come through unscathed. Mm. Which means that if you've come through unscathed, or so you know, if we've gone through injuries, you've built up and we've built up a resilience that not a lot of people in the world have. Mm. And people want to hear about that. People want to know what it took to come back from stuff like that, the mindset, the processes. Mm. And because we think it's a bodily thing, we never give ourselves credit for the process and the systems we put in place on an emotional and physical level that gets us back. Not only do we strategically make a plan physically to come back, that requires us to become someone on an emotional and mental level, which means that you then live day by day in a systematic approach to become someone you weren't before. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then at the end of that, to get back on a field and it, a field where you express yourself, not just go into battle for your teammates. You're looking and you've built yourself back up and using rugby as a vehicle to physically express your creativity, to use your leadership skills all again. So when you retire, people want you in their space to share that. People want you to come into a corporate setting to help their team understand how you create these systems, that how you have a, you know, like a, a long-term vision, but day by day, creating a system of who do you need to become today? And mm -hmm. then tomorrow you wake up, who do I need to become again today to get there? And we go through so much, but we never give ourselves credit for it when the world's crying out to hear from us. Wow, mate, what a response and what a way to uh, wrap up this interview, man. Um, really, really amazingly put. Um, yeah, I often think about my return from injury and how much it's taught me and how much I've grown as a person and, and, and how I can sit in this space now and feel so grateful for that opportunity to have gone through that because not many people... Yes, a lot of people in the rugby world go through injuries, but outside of the rugby world, like you say, hardly anyone ever goes through or has to overcome something like that or come back from something like that. So I, I definitely see that as, as a real gift. And yeah, the way you said that is a hundred percent bang on is like those experiences are what the world needs. So yeah, there's so much rugby players can offer any environment that they go into next. So Thank you for that, Rick. And um, I was, yeah, like I say, really, really beautifully put. And um, yeah, just to wrap this up then, just if you wanted to kind of just talk about where people can find a little bit more about what you're doing um, and if there's anything in particular that you're working on at the moment. Yeah, cheers, Anne. Um, so I'm working with my one-to-ones, um, you know, like they're, they're quite an array. 
So we, you know, helping them disperse any sort of people that want to be more action taker in life, you know, like they feel a bit dull and they're like, I just want to get into action. I want some more confidence. I want to have that energy and that spark and I help them like get through subconscious limitations. They don't even know they're there. Um, release them to have like better relationships and better performance in business, in life and, and really get after things. So I do my one-to-one and then uh, me and you know Aaron, We've got um, our Way of the Warriors, which is basically a, we have a coaching weekend. And we also offer a day of full embodiment. So it's really taking taking people on a journey to get out of their mind and get into their body and their heart, finding real clarity in their self and leaving us with just absolute drive and fire in their bellies to pursue their purpose. Um so, yeah, that's what we've got, got going on. Um, I think the website for that goes live in about two weeks. So my my personal website is rick uh, underscore cooper dot com. Um, and you can get me on Instagram, rick underscore cooper, or on LinkedIn. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome, mate. Awesome. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people um, reaching out to listen to a little bit more of what you've got to say. Because, mate, your story and your journey has been absolutely incredible. Um, and it's been, yeah, a real honor getting to know you over these, what, last three, four months. Um, and yeah, following your journey. And I can testify for those um, Way of the Warrior weekends. I actually attended one, uh, what, when was it? A few months ago. And um, yeah, it was powerful. This man has just got ridiculous energy. Um, same with Aaron, who he runs it with. And um, yeah, just just to say a huge, huge thank you for today. And thank you for um sharing your story with the listeners and yeah um, there was so many nuggets of gold in there that i'm sure um that's gonna inspire those listeners to yeah maybe just look at things a little bit differently and go wow what this man says is is powerful and you know i can relate to a lot of it so thank you again and um yeah we'll have to do this again one day and and go into a little bit more about um some of these things because we 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 probably only touched on a tiny percentage of of things we could talk about eh oh god and yeah definitely like god us two could go in go into so many different rooms together it's um yeah it's love it i love it mate it's been a pleasure to meet pleasure to meet you a few months ago and this is beautiful friendship i think you're just a beautiful human being mate and it's been an absolute honor being invited onto onto your podcast awesome mate and um yeah, let's do it again sometime. Good luck with the launch of the the new business. I look forward to seeing the new website. And um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you, man. My pleasure. Okay, thank you. And um, that's the end of this episode. We'll see you next time with our next guest. Thanks again, Rick Cooper.